Okay, so if you're having a difficult day, but you've been invited to the Twins World Series game in the evening, the day is doable, right? <laughs> if, if you're messing up your week with some failures and some difficult assignments, but you're going skiing in Colorado on the weekend, that week is doable. You can get through it. If the winter is breaking all records for being long and cold and pretty miserable, you know that spring is coming and you know that you're going to have a vacation for one month in the Bahamas. You can handle the winter. You hear me? If your life has included incredible setbacks, heaven is going to be all the more wonderful. Destroy someone's hope and they start dying before they stop living. Hope is the anchor out here that enables us to live today. Peter was radical when he said, put all your marbles in the kingdom to come, all of them. He said, set your hope fully on the grace that is coming to you. That's way out here with the revelation of Jesus Christ. So where do we live? We live with the future here. We live in the future. We are people of the future. That's not Pollyanna thinking. It's reality. That's where we're going. That is more real than this than today. And if we live that way, today is manageable. Does anyone think that way? Does anyone live that way? Well, listen to this. A man once said, this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So some of us might be thinking, light, momentary. I would not say it's light or momentary. It lasts a long time and it's really heavy. Who can say that? Well, who said it? A man who went through far more beatings than I will ever go through. A man who had more sleepless nights, who had people after him all the time, persecuted, in fact, he was called with this word. I will show him how much he must suffer for my sake. That was his life. And he called it light and momentary. So you have a right to call it light and momentary as well. It's an infinitesimal fraction compared to eternity. Right? So you show me someone that lives that way, and I'll show you someone who is not under the circumstances. I'll show you someone who thinks about other people instead of themselves, because while their circumstances may be severe, maybe even worse than others, they have chosen to live with eternity in view, and so life doesn't grab onto them and pull them under. They do not live under the circumstances. Why would we live there? We're to live over the circumstances. 
So we put all our marbles in the world to come. That We have some doozies. We have some really intense difficulties. Would you all agree? So did Paul. In fact, in the first chapter, he says things like this. We were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired even of life itself. Paul said that. It got really bad and really hard. So I don't want to shame people here today when you're going through difficult things. It's really difficult. Paul was despairing of life itself. So we rejoice with those who rejoice and we weep with those who weep, but we do it with eternity in view. Because when you have hope for the future, you have a hold on time. When you abandon hope, you just lost your hold. You lost your anchor. That's an anchor that keeps us steady. And if you abandon that for any reason, and some do, some do. Victims do. They lose the future, and they start thinking about the past. Instead of saying, what if, and dream about the future, they say, if only. If only that hadn't happened. If only he hadn't left me. If only this didn't work out. It had worked out. If only I hadn't lost my job. If only they had not betrayed me. And they're living with the past. And that was all but two spies that said, what if? They said, what if God delights in us? That's exactly what it says in Numbers 13. What if God delights in us? We will eat them for food, he said. And the rest of them were looking at how bad it was, and they were looking in reverse. You know, that they wanted to go back to Egypt. Why? Because they had good food there. They, they ate. You romanticize the past when you fear the future. When it becomes bad... Then you start thinking of how it was, and you pretend that it was better than it really was. It was miserable, but you want to make it, you, you want to dress it up. They dressed up Egypt. They were going crazy. And two saw a good future. So when you put all your marbles in the kingdom to come, you're going to be able not only to survive, but really to thrive in the midst of massive difficulties. I want to encourage you by telling you about some people who were fueled by the future, who had disabilities, but they didn't disable them. Walt Disney was fired by a newspaper because of lack of ideas. <laughs> Helen Keller was the first blind and deaf person to get a college degree. Marla Runyon was the first legally blind athlete to compete in the Olympics as a runner. How did she do that? Or he? I don't know, Marla. I guess it's maybe a lady. As a runner. How, do you, how are you blind and you compete? I don't know. Beethoven composed some of his greatest masterpieces while deaf. 
He couldn't even hear what he was writing. Christy Brown, an Irish painter and writer, could only use his foot for writing and painting. Albert Einstein had a learning disability. He didn't speak till he was three. Thomas Edison frustrated his teacher. He was too stupid to get it. John Milton became blind at 43. It was after that that he wrote Paradise Lost. Henry Ford went broke five times before he got it. I was recently in Detroit. We drove down Ford Avenue. <laughs> Enrico Caruso's teacher, you ever heard of Caruso, singer? His teacher convinced his parents that he didn't have a voice and he should try another profession. What's your, what's your problem? What's pulling you back? I pray that God gives you hope, and it's anchored not in time, but it's in eternity. So I just want to share a few people in the scripture that were anchored by hope, and therefore they could endure difficulties. Hebrews tells us about the Son of Man looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy... Where is it? Set before him. It's out here. It's not here. He is not experiencing joy as he's going to the cross. In fact, we see his humanity like we don't see it in any other place that I can see when he says, Father, if it be possible, listen to him. That's your honest. He's saying, is there another way? And he's, he's about 12 hours from the cross. It's getting close. He's feeling the pressure. How much pressure do you have to take before you sweat blood? Luke says they were great drops. And then it says that an angel came and strengthened him. I think God said, get down there right away. He's going to die. He needs help. Get down there. He was going through a horrendous time. Did he have joy? No. Did he have joy anchored in his future? Yes, because of the joy set before him. He knew the future and that he could endure this present. The word endure occurs three times here. Consider him, that's what we're supposed to do, we're consider Jesus, who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Life gets hard, and we get faint-hearted, right? And we get weary. So we consider Jesus. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Three times endured. Jesus became the garbage dump of humanity. And he did not enjoy it for a moment. But he endured. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for being fueled by the future, enabling you to go through devastation. Peter 
was fueled by the future, not at first. He said something really stupid. He took him aside and said, this shall never happen to you. A few moments later, he wished he never had said that because he got the biggest rebuke Jesus ever gave to anyone. Then he got it. And when he got it, he got it so well that he wrote more about suffering per verse than any other book in the Bible. He'd learned about suffering. What he was choosing to deny and to run, and run around, he now embraces it as a part of his life and says, because he's future-minded, he is fueled by the future, he says, set your hope fully. Here's how he starts his letter. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Okay, it's a hope. It's alive. Reserved in heaven for you. What kind of reservation? It's incorruptible. It's undefiled. Will not, will not fade away. Who by God's grace are being kept for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last times. In this... You greatly rejoice. What am I rejoicing in? What, what's, in the, what's in the future? What's in eternity? In this, you greatly rejoice. Though now, he says, for a, how long? Little while. For a little while. Just, just brief. Maybe only 50 years. Though now, for a little while, you may be in heaviness through manifold trials. So Peter says, you're going to get it now. It's going to be hard. But don't forget your living hope because that anchors you beyond time in eternity. You've been in heaviness through manifold trials. It's to prove your faith, being more precious than gold, which so perishable is tried by fire, may redound to praise and glory and honor at the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love. And though you do not see him now, yet believing in him, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory as the outcome of your faith. Faith is, we're saved in the past, we're saved in the present. This is future salvation. As the outcome of your faith, you obtain the salvation of your souls. You're going to be saved in the future because you have an anchor in eternity. Peter got it. Moses got it. Hebrews 11, it says, by faith, Moses, when he was grown up, He was a baby, and he went into the palace as a baby. When he was growing up, how did he do this? How did he know this? It says he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Who's preaching to him? I don't know. But somehow he got it. He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Choosing rather, here's what he chose. He chose to be mistreated by the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Sin is pleasurable. The Bible says so right here. Only problem, it fleets. He could have had any princess. He had the wealth of Egypt at his disposal. The, the richest nation in the world. He had it all, and he said, no, 
I'll take disgrace instead. Short-term, finish it. Short-term pain, long-term, massive gain. He could have been the most powerful person in the world. You know what? He was. Listen to this. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. That's what Ducky said. It's beyond here. He was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured. There's that word again. Endurance is probably the most important end-time word for Christians. Endure. As seeing him who is invisible. He was seeing into eternity. I mentioned the, the spies, and we'll quit there. I, I'll just say a couple things about spies that <clears throat> they they come back and they give they're given the report and they say it's that's wonderful it's really wonderful however verse 28 of number 13 however uh-oh uh-oh now they're going to say some negative things they are not fueled by the future they have a promise that they're going into a land in between the promise and the promised land is a desert brothers and sisters, and that's what we go through on our way to our destiny, onto our promised land. We go through a desert where we endure. We don't always enjoy, but we endure. However, people are strong there in that land. Cities are fortified. And then Caleb grabs the mic, and he says, let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. There's somebody who is living in the future. We can do it. And uh, they said, nope, they're Nephilim in the land, and we seem to ourselves like grasshoppers. And the people grumbled, and they said, would that we had died in Egypt. Oh, really? <laughs> See, that's a victim mentality. You're looking back because you fear the future. You fear instead of looking with faith. And so you prefer going backwards. I hope that's none of you. But that's what a victim does. They say, if only. Mm. And listen to what the two spies. The land which we pass through is exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, you know he does. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give us a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not fear the people of this land, for they are bread for us. We're going to eat them alive. They tried to stone them. That's what their response was. There are people who won't like the fact that you're living with an anchor in eternity because you speak to their victimization and their backwardness. They're going in reverse, and you're going forward with eyes of faith. So what, what happens if you are fueled by the future? I'll tell you that you, you learn not to worry because worry is no longer central in your life. You learn not to worry because it neither does any good, it doesn't accomplish anything, and you don't need it. You don't need worry anymore. You don't need anxiety because that's not where you're going. You're going, you're going into a rich future. 
so you don't have to worry. Second thing is that you don't get discouraged. I've had a discussion about this with quite a few people. Is discouragement a sin? Some have said, no, it's just a, it's, it's a experience that you go through. God commanded Joshua, do not be discouraged. If he was discouraged, would, it, would that have been a sin? I think so. So I'll, I'll let you decide that. But if you are fueled by the future, you will not be discouraged because you have this living hope that you're thinking about all the time. That, that's your dreamland. That's where you're headed. That's where you're going. You see it by faith. Moses saw the invisible, and that's what drove him through the desert and gave him hope because he saw him who was invisible. Third thing is that you turn a test into a testimony. A test comes along. You're not threatened by it. It, it feels, ah, oh, this is hard. But because you live by faith, you turn a test into a testimony. So how does it sound to you? Sound like a, way to, a good way to live? Anyone want to say, yes, that's how I want to live? I, that's how I want to live. I want to live that way. So what, what is going to take? What will it take? Let's, let's uh, just take a moment in our hearts just to make a, a commitment in our hearts that, that uh, that's the way we want to live. And uh, those of us who have responsibilities, families, children, grandkids, that's, that's what we want to give to our kids and our grandkids and to others. So uh, just take a, a quiet moment.